What is going on, sports fans? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast, presented by Anchor. We've got an awesome show for you today. The Super Bowl is set. Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, Buccaneers, Chiefs. We talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, but more about the AFC and NFC Championship games and how we got the matchup that we will get in the Super Bowl. We also talk about the NBA. LeBron James lit up the Cavs last the other night, and he had some extra motivation to do so from a member of the Cavs front office. We talk about that. We also talk about the UFC, the stock market, and a bunch of other things. Anything, Basically, anything you need to hear about will be in this podcast. But first, this episode, as always, is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. We're going to hear an ad from them later, but go to anchor.fm to start your very own podcast today. Today is Wednesday, January 27th, Championship weekend we start in the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field where Aaron Rodgers Green Bay Packers and more importantly Matt LaFleur blew it In what could be Aaron Rodgers' final act as the Packers quarterback, he should have run in a potential game-tying touchdown. And Matt LaFleur committed coaching malpractice by taking a meaningless field goal, which made it from an 8-point game to a 5-point game, rather than giving his legendary quarterback another chance to get in the end zone on a goal-to-go situation. The Packers will be haunted by that, and the inability to cash in any of Tom Brady's three interceptions for points that could have rendered that entire late-game disaster moot. But give it up for Bruce Arians and the GOAT. Arians' commitment to diversity has paid off big dividends. Now, Brady's legend includes the first case of home field advantage in the Super Bowl and what is his 10th appearance in that game. Hopefully more will be made about finally giving minority coaches their due than rehearsing Brady's obvious status as the most decorated player in NFL history. Hey, want to hear a wacky stat? Aaron Rodgers has been in the NFC since 2008. Tom Brady's been there one year. And they had the same amount of wins in the NFC Championship game. As the Buccaneers win a wild one, 31-26. We go to Kansas City, where Patrick Mahomes is in the midst of the greatest three-season stretch we've ever seen. He's 25-1 in his last 26 games. His only loss in the playoffs is to Tom Brady. And if he beats Brady on his home field to win back-to-back titles for the first time since 2003-2004, coincidentally Tom Brady's Patriots, it could be the start of Mahomes' own march towards GOAT status. Buffalo has nothing to hang its head about. If the 2020 Bills were a fantastic thrill ride, right down to Josh Allen's solid dual-threat performance against the juggernaut Chiefs. Allen and Stephon Diggs took the appropriate steps to ensure this won't be the last time the Bills will play in this game, as they watched that confetti pour down on the Chiefs after the game, and I have can, I can guarantee saying this, that Buffalo will be back, and next year, I'm going to be saying this a lot too. No one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, as the Chiefs win 38-24. The championship weekend in the NFL has come and gone, and what championship weekend it was a lot of questionable coaching moves that made this um, decided these two ball games. We'll get to those, but uh, first, let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl that we're going to get: Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady making his tenth. I repeat that his tenth Super Bowl appearance. He has been in the Super Bowl ten out of twenty years. That is half his career, fifty percent of his career. 
That is absolutely crazy. And Patrick Mahomes, obviously, he's been there two uh, two times in his first three three full seasons in the NFL. Those that's going to be an awesome game. Um, and I'm just excited for it. The line right now out of Vegas, the Chiefs are favored by three and a half. But this game is um, being played in Tampa Bay. So it's the first time in Super Bowl history that a team is playing in the Super Bowl in their home stadium. So there's a lot of history on the line in this one. Uh, the Buccaneers have their coaching staff, besides Bruce Arians, is almost all African-American coaches. And I think that's the first time that's happened. And it's paid off in a Super Bowl. And that's pretty awesome to see as well. And obviously, you look at the Chiefs, they have a historic offense. Travis Kelsey might be on his way to becoming the greatest tight end of all time. Like, look at the matchups in these Super Bowls. You got Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. We've talked about that already. You look at Travis Kelsey versus Rob Gronkowski, perhaps the new greatest tight end of all time versus the old greatest tight end of all time. You look at the receiving matchup. You got Tyreek Hill on one side, and you got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and Scooter, Scotty Miller out of Bowling Green. That's a great, like, great players on both sides of the ball in all this one. And perhaps the, the uh, maybe close your, close your ears and don't listen to this one, Steelers fans. Le'Veon Bell versus Antonio Brown in the Super Bowl. And who would have thought that they would have made their first Super Bowl appearance in their career not a member of the Steelers? That's pretty weird. Hmm. I don't know, but it should be a great Super Bowl next week's episode. Well, I think we'll record Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, one of those three days. We are going to record an episode. It's going to be a Super Bowl preview episode. We're also going to talk about other things, but we're going to mainly focus on the Super Bowl. We might even get an interview for that one. We got a lot of exciting interviews coming up in this show, so definitely uh, be ready for those. But I'm definitely excited for the Super Bowl, and I cannot wait to watch it. And let's talk about how we got to the Super Bowl. We'll start in Green Bay. Packers, Bucks, and the Bucks dominated this game early. Um, they, Tom Brady was spraying the ball all over the field, and the I I thought I knew the game was over uh, as soon as um, Kevin King, who had a horrible game for the Packers in their secondary, he let Scooter Scotty Miller out of Bowling Green. He, the the kid's probably five eleven. He's a rookie out of Bowling Green. Uh, he he's got burners though. He's very fast. They call. They go for it on fourth down with 15 seconds left in the second quarter. Then they, they just send four verticals. It's the classic play in Madden. You send four verticals down. Um, Scotty Miller gets behind this guy. Tom Brady just throws an absolute dime down the field for a touchdown. And the Buccaneers, I believe, went up. I think the score was 21 to 10 at halftime. It might have been something different. Let me look. But that was the play I knew it was over. I tweeted something like, that's a dagger. Brady has still got it. And early in that first half, Brady did have it. And he looked like like 20 years younger. And that, that made it 21 to 10 at halftime. But then something happened. I knew that I couldn't count out an Aaron Rodgers team that easily. I knew I couldn't count Aaron Rodgers out that easily. And I was correct. Because the Packers then cut the lead to um, as much as three points. I think I believe... Uh, five points. It was 28 to 23 at one point. And I thought, here come the Packers, especially because at that point, Tom Brady had threw three interceptions on three straight possessions. Everything was rolling for the Packers. Then something changed. Then the Buccaneers got a stop. They kick a field goal. It's an eight point game. And then Matt LaFleur made one of the dumbest coaching decisions in the playoffs I have seen in recent memory. First off, let's set the stage for this fourth down play. So the Packers have first and goal. They're down eight with about 2.30 left. They call two passes to Devontae Adams that get broken up. 
On third down, Aaron Rodgers again tries to hit Devontae Adams, but he can't find him right away. So he steps up to the in the pocket, rolls to his right, and if you look at this screen grab, I I I, I don't know. You guys probably saw it during the game. There is about, there's no one within five yards of Aaron Rodgers, and there's a ton of green, and if he cuts it right and runs, he could have walked into the end zone, but he didn't. He decided to throw across his body to Devontae Adams. It was incomplete, and then instead of giving your MVP, your your superstar quarterback, your Hall of Fame quarterback, a chance to go score a touchdown on fourth and goal, Matt LaFleur decided to kick a field goal, which would take it from an eight-point game to a five-point game, which didn't really make sense because you're still going to, A, you're still going to need a touchdown either way. If you if it's an eight-point game or a five-point game, in order to win the game you're, or tie the game, you're going to need a touchdown. B, you're going to have to get a defensive stop either way. So by that mindset, if you have to get a defensive stop, would you rather take the field goal to make it a five-point game or Try for the touchdown, which gives you a chance to tie it. And worst case scenario is if you don't get it, you have them pinned deep within their own 10-yard line, and you have three timeouts to try and stop them. And I don't know what Matt LaFleur was thinking. Um, I think he's the first coach in NFL history to make it to the NFC Championship game or the championship game in either conference in his first two seasons and not win one of them. That, that's absolutely nuts to me. And what's also nuts to me, I mentioned it in uh, the fastest five minutes, is Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have the same amount of NFC Championship game wins. Tom Brady's been in the NFC for one year. This is his first year in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers has been there since, been a starting quarterback in the NFC since 2008. He's been to the NFC Championship game five times, three out of the last four years, and he hasn't won it once. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. And it's and then that's why and then ultimately the Buccaneers got a couple first downs. They iced the game. Tom Brady goes to his tenth Super Bowl. The Buccaneers go to their first Super Bowl since two thousand and two, and they do it with a very talented roster, very talented set of coaches, and they march on to place the Super Bowl in their home stadium. Now the story after the game was besides obviously Tom Brady, everybody talking about Tom Brady being the undisputed goat, and everybody also talking about the success in the Buccaneers side of the ball. The talk was about the Packers' future because Aaron Rodgers had some comments after the game that left a lot of Packers fans worried. He said, let me let me look for his comments after the game, but it was something along the lines of, I don't know what the future holds, I don't know what anybody's future holds, but we're going to have to wait and see. So here's what he said after the game. He said... There's a lot of guys' futures that are uncertain, myself included. That's what's sad. That's what's sad about it most. Getting this far, obviously, there's going to be an end to it at some point, whether we make it past this one or not. Just the uncertainties. It is tough, and the finality of it. So Aaron Rodgers said that after the game, but not to worry, Packers fans, because Aaron Rodgers went on the Pat McAfee show yesterday and said, "You know, I did say I was talking about everybody. I fully expect to be a Packer next season." And I fully expect Aaron Rodgers to be a Packer as well next season. But this season is a failure for the Packers. I think having Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre for the last, I don't know, since the early 90s, they've had either Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre as their starting quarterback since the early 90s. And they've won two Super Bowls. That is ridiculous. You have two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and you've only won two Super Bowls. And the fact that this year... 
this is a this is an underlying thing for the Packers. The fact that this year they took a quarterback in the first round and didn't take a receiver when the likes of Justin Jefferson was still on the board, that's a crime as well. This game, I think, is on. The Buccaneers won this game, but the Packers also blew it because of some dumb coaching decisions. I expect the Packers to be a playoff team next year, but the question for Matt LaFleur, for Aaron Rodgers, and for that Packers front office is they need to decide what they need to do to not only get this team back to another NFC Championship game, but to get them to the Super Bowl because they haven't been there since 2011, and they've been within one win in the Super Bowl three of the last four years. They need to figure it out because they're too talented of a team not to, and I don't want to see them keep wasting number 12's career. But the Buccaneers advance, and they will play the Super Bowl at their home stadium. And the other game, Chiefs-Bills, this one started off really bad for the Chiefs. Um, So the Bills went down, they got a field goal on their opening drive, and then the next they punted the ball on their next drive. But Mecole Hardman, their Chiefs receiver out of Georgia, Muffs the punt. The Bills recover like at the one and they get a touchdown. They're up nine to nothing. But then something happened. And I've been talking about the Chiefs all year. I've been saying they've looked a little, they've slept walked through some games this year. They've only been winning by one possessions. They need to flip that switch if they want to win the Super Bowl. After they went down nine to nothing, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and the light, and Andy Reid, and all the people involved in the Chiefs sideline, they flipped that switch. And they outscored the Bills 38-6 to from that point on. Obviously, the Bills got a garbage-time touchdown, but the Chiefs win this one 38-24. And it was, it, was a, it was an okay game, but this was another, another game where field goals, coaches kicking field goals at the wrong time, screwed them in the end. And here's where it happened for the Bills. Number one, at the end of the first half, they had like a third and goal or fourth and goal from the no, it was it was like a third and goal from the five, but there's only like five seconds left in the um no, there's like a 30, 40 seconds left in the uh it was a fourth and goal. It, it was like 30 to 40 seconds left in the first half. And instead of going for it on fourth and goal from like the, the three yard line, they kicked a field goal to take it from a two-score game to a two-score game from 12 to 9. I don't get that. I would have gone for it, especially because the Chiefs got the ball after the ha- after halftime, and when the Chiefs get the ball after halftime, they're probably going to score on their opening drive. But then there was another point in the game where uh, I, th- I believe it was, I believe the score was, let me let me look at the game summary because I believe the score was, it was, I believe it was either a 12-point game or a, a, a nine-point game or something like that. Let's see. Yeah, here it is. So it was it was 20 it was 24 to 12. The Bills go on a 10 play 67 yard drive. They have it from like the 10 yard line. Then they kick a field goal to make it a 9 point game. From there, Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs after a Tyreek Hill ridiculous 60 yard run that the Chiefs go four plays 75 yards in 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Next drive in the fourth quarter, the Chiefs go 11 plays, 50, 58 yards for a touchdown. And at that point, you could have been, if the, if the Bills go for it and get a touchdown, they get it's 21 to 24, 22 to 24. They go from that possibility to being down 38 to 15 in a little over 10 minutes. That's what kicking field goals does to you. And I, I just don't get it. Josh Allen played a pretty well in this game. Um, 287 yards, two touchdowns, and he ran it for 88 yards. And uh, the, the the Bills showed a lot of grit, and uh, this Bills team will be back. I fully expect this Bills team to be back. 
Cole Beasley, man, played this game with a broken fibula and still caught seven balls for 88 yards. That's crazy. And for the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world right now. 325 yards, three touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had nine receptions for 172 yards. And Travis Kelsey also had two touchdowns. You just can't stop the Chiefs. They're on a different level right now. That's why they're favored in the Super Bowl game. But I think the Buccaneers defense could stop the Chiefs. That's all I'm going to say about it right now because we got a preview episode of the Super Bowl next year. But this Buccaneers team might be built to beat the Chiefs. We'll talk about that a little later. But that's we got Bills, uh, the Bills and the Packers. Great season to you guys. Uh, you join us on the on the couch. But uh, if you listen to Chase Claypool, um, it's a good win for good win for them. But they're gonna get clapped next week, so it doesn't matter, right? You know, short memory. Shout out Chase Claypool. I hope you're listening, buddy. But uh, the Bills and the Packers will be back, and congratulations to the Buccaneers and the Chiefs for making the Super Bowl, and it should be a great, great game. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, NBA, UFC, MLB, Baseball Hall of Fame results came out yesterday, and some stock market talk. What's that about? Find out after the break. And welcome back to Season 2, Episode 21 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast presented by Anchor. Let's start with uh, some NBA talk. Um, Obviously, the NBA... It's up and running. Uh, they're having a pretty entertaining season. The NBA is always entertaining to me. I don't know. I feel like I love my favorite sports since I've been a little kid was always baseball. And I feel like football is probably the one I talk about most on this podcast. But when you look at the NBA and in, in pure in terms of drama, pure drama, pure antics, pure social media, I think the NBA is the most entertaining league. I just think it is. There's so much intrigue. There's so much storylines. It's beautiful. And I love the NBA. And that's where we're going to talk about the NBA a little bit here. And part of the reason we love the NBA is because we, we get to hear about how great players motivate themselves. We, we loved watching The Last Dance earlier in quarantine because we got to hear about how Michael Jordan would motivate himself off the, the craziest things. And like the, we got the meme where he said, and I took that personally. We, we get to hear a classic stories about Kobe, about Kevin Durant, about Stephen Curry, about all those great players, how they motivate themselves. And um, one of those great players is LeBron James. And he motivated himself against his hometown Cleveland Cavaliers the other night in a big way. So LeBron started off the first half absolutely scorching against the Cavs. He had 23 points, I believe, in the first half. And uh, so, I could be wrong, but he was off to a very hot start. I think he was 7 for 8 from the field in the first quarter or in like the first 10 minutes or something like that. But he was off to a hot start. He cooled off in the third quarter. He went 1 for 6 in the third quarter, including a missed jump shot at the end of the third. And there's a video. It's on LeBron. It was, it was all over um, social media that night. I saw it on LeBron's Instagram story today as well. Um, it was a member of the Cavs front office who was a little bit too excited about LeBron missing that shot to end the third. And if you watch the video, this dude stands up and starts clapping, like like clapping, like and clapping towards LeBron, like in LeBron's face. And you, the camera showed LeBron after that play. He nodded his head, started kind of smiling and smirking, and walked back to the bench. And at that point, I think everybody in Cleveland was like, we've seen this movie before, but I don't. we've only seen it once when he was on that other side. And of course, the game I'm referring to is that 2010 game 
LeBron's first game back when he was a member of the Miami Heat, when he absolutely killed the Cavs for 45 points, 10 rebounds, and I believe like 8 or 9 assists. And LeBron almost outdid that performance with the Lakers that night. After that point where that Cavs executive in the front office clapped at LeBron and was excited about LeBron missing, LeBron scored 23 points in the fourth quarter, and he hit one of his patented logo threes, which completely demoralizes the opponents, and it was in tune to a performance of, let's read this stat line, 46 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. He killed us, and the Lakers win 115-108. to Now, this Lakers team is 10-0 so far this season on the road, and I would be shocked. I'll, I'll say it in January. I would be shocked if the Lakers don't repeat as champions. I'll be shocked. With the level LeBron is playing at in year 18 or year 17, I think it's year 17 or 18, he's just, he's. I think he's a great, I've said it before, he's the greatest player of all time. And he's playing at such a high level still. He, like, I, I, I seriously asked this question. 10 years ago, in 2010, when LeBron James joined the Miami Heat, Can you name me one thing in LeBron's game that was better 10 years ago than it is today? I don't think you can. Maybe his defensive effort, maybe. Because what LeBron does on the defensive side of the ball right now is kind of saves energy and goes all out on offense. But I don't think you can name a single aspect of LeBron James' game that is better 10 years ago than it is today. And that's crazy because 10 years ago, he was back-to-back MVP and he won two championships. And he may be even greater now than he was then. But this Cavs team had nothing to hang their hat on about that performance. Man, this Cavs team's been surprising a little bit. They've been they've been competing. I'm interested to see what they do at the deadline because they're kind of still like in that playoff race. They're at like a seventh or eighth seed in the East right now. And they got a lot of pieces that could get moved for like an upside. Obviously, they made the big splash getting Jared Allen and Terry and Prince from the Nets. Two young players who can be a a part of that future core along with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. But you look at guys like Andre Drummond, you look at the Kevin Love, you look at JaVale McGee. Maybe if you flip those guys for some either draft picks or some prospects, that's the way you want to go? Or do the Cavaliers embrace it this year and maybe try to buy in some pieces? They got a lot of cap space for next offseason. Maybe they bring in some pieces, try and make a playoff run, and try to go at some free agents next year. I don't know. But the Cavs were uh, the most talked about team, not this past week, but last week when they beat the Brooklyn Nets in their new big three of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant back-to-back nights. And Colin Sexton had maybe the best individual performance of the season. He had 42 points, including scoring, I think, 20 or 23 straight for the Cavs. 20 or 23 straight for the Cavs. That hasn't been done since LeBron's been here. Like, a player hasn't taken over a game for the Cavs like that since LeBron left. And Sexton did that the other night against the Nets. The Cavs right now, I believe they sit at 8-9, and nine, and they play the Pistons tonight. But I mean, they, they've been solid. They've been competitive in almost every game this year. They've had some flops. They obviously lost to the Jazz by a lot the other week. They got smoked by the Pacers earlier this season. Other than that, though, close losses and some surprising wins. They beat the 76ers. They beat the Nets. They're, they're beating up on teams they shouldn't beat up on. So it's just pretty interesting to me. So... The Cavs are looking good, and uh, looking around the NBA, it's been a great season so far, and I mentioned the drama off the court, and obviously there's been some good trades as well, but I'm just excited to see where this season goes, man, because we thought last season was good, 
Wait till we get to this season. I feel like besides the Lakers, we have no idea who's good. The Eastern Conference, anybody could win the East right now. The Raptors are 7-10. and 10. They're behind the Knicks. Like, like, that's not supposed to happen. The Miami Heat, who went to the Eastern Conference, who went to the freaking NBA Finals last year, they're 6-10. and 10. Russell Westbrook is, and the Wizards and Bradley Beal are 3-10. and 10. I don't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And the unpredictability of the Eastern Conference, at least, I look at the Western Conference, you look at the Lakers, but then you look, Jazz, Clippers, Nuggets, Blazers, Grizzlies, Suns, Warriors, Spurs, all those teams I could make a case for going far in the playoffs. The Mavericks, even. They're not even in the playoffs right now. With Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. I can make a case for them. Even the Rockets. They're off to a slow start, but they're competing. They remind me of that Thunder team from last year. The NBA is fun. It's alive. It's a great league. And that's what's happening right now. Looking at some games this week that I want to circle. You look at, um, let's see. Uh, Lakers... The Clipper, Clippers Heat game tomorrow at 8 is a good one to watch because I feel like the Heat have to like flip this switch because the Heat have not been the Heat have not been playing up to that standard that they set last year that Eric Spolster has been setting since he's been the coach. Like like I, I just haven't seen it from them. I think this could be a bounce back game for them against the Clippers. And of course you look at um some other games this weekend. The Saturday slate's always good. You look at Grizzlies, Spurs, Lakers, Celtics at 8.30. That one will be an awesome one. And the Sunday afternoon game, Jazz and Nuggets. Those are just some games to watch this weekend in the NBA. But I would be remiss talking about the NBA if I didn't mention that one year ago yesterday, we lost a legend. And it's been one year since the passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, it's been we miss Kobe. He inspired everybody each day on that Mamba mentality. And I, I, we, we miss Kobe, and we're, we, we're sending our thoughts to uh, him, his family, and the, the other families that were affected in that horrible crash. It's been one year without Kobe, but his legacy, his impact, and all those people on that helicopter's in, impact, um, they live on day in and day out. And we see their people they've touched and people they've inspired do great things day in and day out. All right, moving on from the NBA. To the UFC, this was another uh, trending thing of the weekend. Uh, the last, um, the inauguration happened last week. I think that happened. Yeah, that happened after we recorded our episode last week. But one of the big things that happened from the inauguration was the meme of Bernie Sanders. He was sitting there, like in this chair with his crossed hands, and he was wearing these 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 cute mittens and <laughs> this big coat, and everybody just made him a meme. And they put Bernie in space. They put Bernie. At McDonald's, they put Bernie in their backyards. They put Bernie, you know, uh, on the moon. Like, <laughs> it, uh, Bernie was everywhere. Bernie Sanders was everywhere. And uh, it was just funny to see. But then the UFC, um, obviously, you guys know what the UFC is. It's the ultimate fight club, uh, MMA. Conor McGregor fought this weekend against Dustin Poirier. He made his much-awaited um, much and anticipated return to the octagon and Dustin Poirier, the diamond, absolutely knocked out Conor McGregor. First round, McGregor was hanging with Poirier. But in the second round, Poirier just kept going to the face and kept going, kept going. And McGregor looked a little slow out there, you know? He looked a little slow. And he he went down. He got knocked out. And they, they, took, they zoomed in on him when he was knocked out after they called a fight. He looked like he was sleeping. He looked like he was taking a nap. And then that was when, that UFC fight was when the torch was passed 
from Bernie Sanders to Conor McGregor as the meme of the week. Because Bernie, I haven't seen a lot of Bernie in the last couple days, but I've been seeing McGregor all over my timeline. But that's the meme of the week. But UFC had some good fights this week. Um, Michael Chandler defeated Tan Dan Hooker. It was absolutely electric. He did a backflip off like the the wall. He did a backflip off the wall after he won the fight, and then in his post game um, like uh, interview after the fight, post game, post match, I guess I should say, post fight interview, I could say as well. Um, after the fight, he called out Khabib, he called out Poirier, he called out McGregor, he called out all these guys, and he said, like, I'm coming, like, I'm coming. So, like, that that's a dude to watch. Like, he's a dude. And uh, UFC's got a lot of exciting stuff. Steve Amiocic, Cleveland's own, will be fighting in a couple weeks. So, uh, that that's another thing, interesting thing as well. And Conor McGregor said he will be back, and uh, it looks like a Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor rubber match, third rematch is going to happen as well. The, but UFC is fun to watch. Um, I, I wish I knew more about it. I wish I wish I watched it a little more. But like I like it enough to like come on and talk about it. Like it, it's it's fun to watch. And um, obviously, uh, people had some problems with this the streaming. Uh, that's why I don't stream fights. I like to like just get all my highlights from Twitter of fights. I'm not paying seventy dollars for a fight. But um, yeah, that that's basically um, UFC was fun. Conor McGregor. I don't know. He looked a little old and slow out there. But I, I, Conor McGregor's a dude, and he's a champion. He's Irish. I, like, I love the guy, and I think he's electric. I think he brings a lot to the USC sport. So I hope this isn't the end for him. But if it is, what a job he did and what a career he had. All right, we're going to go to MLB talk. Then we're going to talk some college basketball. And then we're going to end the show with a, with a newer, newer segment, but we kind of talk about it all the time. It's kind of like what's trending of the week. And we're, we got into it a little bit with Bernie, but we're going to get into some other things that are trending this week as well. So let's go MLB. A lot of moves in the MLB, but before we talk about the moves in the hot stove, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame ballots and the Baseball Hall of Fame ballots because nobody got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 14 writers left their Hall of Fame ballots blank. And I don't think that's I don't think that's good for the game. First of all, I think Barry Bonds should be a Hall of Famer because he has two the two greatest seasons in MLB history. Um I digress. But I think it's bad for the game. Like being a Hall of Fame voter should be an honor to baseball writers. And you should you shouldn't leave it blank. Like there are, are Hall of Fame worthy players in the ballot every year. I think Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Fame worthy player. I think Barry Bonds a Hall of Hall of Fame worthy player. I think Scott Rowland could be in the Hall of Fame. There's a lot of guys that could be in the Hall of Fame. But I, I just think people who like don't vote for the Hall of Fame just because of the steroids things or just because other things like like it's an honor. You should take it seriously. Like, just don't leave the ballot blank. It, it's bad for the game. It's going to turn people off from the game. Like, I don't get it. But there's some there's a, there's a line between it being an honor and taking it seriously and then taking it too seriously. And Tom Verducci of MLB Network takes it too seriously. He did this six-minute video on MLB Network the other day and <laughs> about his Hall of Fame ballot. And one of the quotes he had was, it doesn't hit – the magnitude of it doesn't hit when you realize how much history – you hold in your hands. Like, is that Tom Verducci or is that uh, John F. Kennedy uh, during the uh, during his inaugural address? Or is that, uh, you know, uh, FDR during World War II? Like, I don't I don't know. Is, is it a guy voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame or is it a guy leading the country? I can't tell. <laughs> but I just thought that was funny how, how there's people who don't take it serious at all leaving their ballot blank. And there's people who take it way serious, like saying saying stuff like that and recording a six-minute video about how great it is to be a Hall of Fame voter. I don't know. 
But nobody gets into the Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling was the closest player. He obviously didn't get in because of some horrible comments he made um, about the the events a couple weeks ago on the Capitol. Um, he obviously didn't get in. I think he was 20 votes shy, and he announced that he would forego his final year on the ballot next year. Um, next year is Barry Bonds and Kurt, um, not Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens final year on the ballot as well. And some newcomers to the ballot next year include Alex Rodriguez. So it'll be interesting to see if, if these guys, since it's their last year on the ballot, will they give Barry Bonds the benefit of the doubt? Because in my mind, he's a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame worthy player. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Steroids or not, he's still one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, that's just my opinion. And the fact that the MLB and those sports writers who vote for the Hall of Fame made so much money writing about how baseball's back, about Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, and Barry Bonds. How about baseball's back? These guys brought baseball back. And the MLB and those sports writers made so much money, got so many clicks about writing about those guys. And the fact that they won't give them the benefit of the doubt that they're Hall of Fame-worthy players, it's kind of ridiculous to me. But I don't know. That's just my opinion on the whole matter. All right, moving on from MLB Hall of Fame to MLB today. A lot of moves being made in the MLB. Let's start with the Cleveland hometown the Cleveland hometown baseball team, they brought back a key contributor to their playoff run la- last night. The Indians made a move. They spent money. Uh, uh, call the neighbors. Uh, something's not right. The Indians made a move and spent money. Uh, sound the alarms. They should not have done that. They're selling all their players. No, they brought back a guy who I am actually think it's a good move. They signed Cesar Hernandez to a one-year $5 million deal. $5 million deal. It includes a player option for next season. That is great. That's a good move. He'll be the starting second baseman. He hit 283 last year. He was the uh, a gold glover. He's going to be great. And I think he'll be a great pairing with um, Rosario or Jimenez or whoever we decide to start at shortstop. So that, that that's another good move by the Cleveland baseball team. Now, uh, they did lose a player. Um, they obviously did not renew their option on Brad Hand. And Brad Hand was a highly sought-after sought-after um, player, uh, highly sought-after a uh, closer because he had a good year last year. I know I got on Brad Hand after he blew the Indians' playoff game, but uh, he was a good player for us last year, and he's been a good player for us for the last couple years. He goes to the Nationals, and I'm telling you right now before you guys um, wake up next year and the Nationals are in the playoffs, don't sleep on the Washington Nationals next year. Do not sleep on them. They've only gotten better. They brought in Kyle Schwarber. They brought in Josh Bell. They're getting Steven Strasburg back. They got a reliable closer in Brad Hand. The Nationals will be in the playoffs next year. And heck, I know the Mets got Lindor and Carrasco. I know that they're currently the favorites to land Trevor Bauer. I'm picking the Nationals to win the NL East. That's all I'm going to say. But the Nationals with a good move to bring in Brad Hand. Some other moves around the, uh, around the horn in Major League Baseball. Andrelton Simmons um, of the Los Angeles Angels formerly now goes to the Minnesota Twins. He was reportedly signing with the Twins. The Blue Jays add Marcus Semien, who could have been an MVP candidate last year. The Blue Jays are making moves, man, because they got Marcus Semien. Last week, they signed George Springer. That lineup, man, Marcus Semien, George Springer. They got their young bucks in, um, in Vlad Guerrero Jr. in uh, – Bo, what's his name? Uh, sorry, I'm blanking. But And they got Biggio. They got Caven Biggio. They got, let's see, let's see. 
They got they got Hyunjin Ryu as their uh, starter. Bo Bichette, their shortstop. They got so many guys. George Springer. They're 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 going to be a good team. The Blue Jays are next year. They're going for it right now. And um, uh, th- it was reported earlier last week that they got Michael Brantley as well, but that was fake. Michael Brantley was a Blue Jay from about 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on January 22nd or something like that. Then they announced he was signing back to the Astros for a two-year, I believe it was a $32 million deal. So Michael Brantley joins the Astros. It gives them much-needed stability in that, in that outfield. So that's what's going on in the, the AL. Moving over to the NL, the Phillies um, get JT Realmuto back. He agrees to a five-year, $115 million deal to return to the Phillies. Great move for the Phillies. I think he's one of their best players. And, dude, I'm telling you what. Like we're like we're definitely gonna talk more about the MLB after football's over when we get close to the MLB season, but the NL East is the best division in baseball right now, and it's not close at all. The Mets, I think the Mets could win the World Series with Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco, pairing them with Jacob Degrom, Pete Alonso, players like that. The Braves, they were one game away from making the World Series last year. They had the MVP in Freddie Freeman. They got um, Ronald Acuna. They got Ozzy Albies. They got a lot of talent. The Phillies, Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto. They have some pieces as well. And then the Nationals. I was just talking about the Nationals. They're, people forget they're one year removed from a World Series. They're going to get Steven Strasburg back. They bought in two guys who, in 2019, combined for, I believe, 60 or 70 home runs in Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell. Like, this division is going to be loaded. And I didn't even mention the Marlins. The Marlins made the playoffs last year and upset the Cubs in the first round. All these teams are capable of making a playoff run next year. And I think that's the only division in baseball you can say that about right now. But I'm excited to see who comes out on top in the NL East and who wins the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. The last we've heard about Trevor Bauer is that he got an offer from the Mets that is comparable to the Yankees offer to uh, Garrett Cole last year. So the Mets are quote-unquote the favorites to land Bauer. So that, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll definitely update you next week if anything changes there. But that's all that's going on around the MLB. MLB offseason, pretty exciting. I know I talked about the NBA, but I, I'm a sucker for baseball. I love baseball. And uh, that's why I'm so entertained by the MLB. All right, college hoops. So let's talk men's, then women's. All right, so guys. This is a historic year in college basketball, not only because they're playing in a pandemic, not only because all of March Madness is going to be played in one state, but because Kentucky, North Carolina, and Duke, the blue bloods of the NCAA basketball, of men's basketball, of college basketball, the blue bloods, all three of them are in danger of not making the tournament. I I know it sounds crazy. Kentucky has been horrible this year. I, they're a young team. I'll give them that. But they have been so bad. They're 5-10 and 10 right now. They are 5-10. and 10. They've obviously played a little better in the SEC. But they got, they're just getting run. And yesterday, they were up 8 with about 5 minutes left. And they lost by 11. I don't know. You look at the other two Blue Bloods I mentioned. North Carolina. North Carolina is not doing well this year either. Under Roy Williams. It's been it's a weird year for college basketball, man. It feels weird. North Carolina is eleven and five. They are doing a little bit better than they're doing a little bit better than 
than uh, Kentucky and Duke. But North Carolina is still uh, losing to teams that they should not lose to. You look at you look at their their season so far. They they lost they lost to Texas. They lost to um, lost to Iowa. That's two good teams. They they lose to NC State. That's a team you shouldn't lose to. They lose to Georgia Tech. That's a team they shouldn't lose to. They lose to a five and eight Notre Dame team. That's a team you shouldn't lose to. They lose to Florida State, and they uh. But since then, since that Florida State loss, they've been playing better. They've won three straight. So North Carolina is gonna have to turn it on because they're in danger of not making the tournament. And so is Duke because Duke has been playing horrible on the road. They've been horrible on the road. I don't think I, they probably. I think they've only won one road game. Duke right now is six and five on the year. They're they have looking at their road games. They have won. They beat Notre Dame on the road 70, 75, 65. And their other road games, they lost at Virginia Tech, at Pittsburgh, at Louisville. They are one and three on the road. And after the game on Louisville Sunday. After their game game on Louisville on Saturday, a journalist named Jake Piazza, a young journalist, he's an economics major at Duke, he asked Coach K the question, where does your team go from here? And Coach K didn't like that question because Coach K embarrassed this kid, asked him what's his major, and then basically embarrassed the kid in front of the whole media room. And this kid went viral. He said, he quote tweeted the press conference and said, uh, well, this wasn't how I expected my first uh, question to Coach K to go. And man, that that that's crazy. That's gonna be a story he can always tell. Hey, uh, hey, kids. Uh, back when I was a when I was a reporter in college, uh, Coach K roasted me. <laughs> like that's a story you can always tell. And uh, his name is now known out there by everybody, and that's that's great for him. And uh, Coach K actually did call him and apologize. So uh, that's good for him. And Duke Duke won since Coach K apologized. So maybe Duke goes on a run here since Coach K apologized to that kid. But Gonzaga and Baylor are the two teams that are, are – we've been talking about them all year on this show. Gonzaga and Baylor are the two teams that are going to be all over the place this season. They are going to be the winners. They're both undefeated. Gonzaga's 15-0. Baylor's 14-0. So, but those it's those two and then everybody else. And – you look at Villanova, Michigan, they're both one-loss teams. You look at Texas, who's been great this year, 11-2. and two. Dude, you look at the Big 12 Conference in basketball, they have six teams that could make a case for a top seed. That's ridiculous. You look at the Big 10, Michigan, Iowa, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota. They have five teams in the top 25. And the SEC with Tennessee, Alabama, Missouri, like the SEC is good too. College basketball is going to be so fun. And I'm telling you guys, I hope that these vaccines get distributed for March Madness because uh, like by March Madness, I hope everybody gets vaccines so they're healthy. But I hope like selfishly, I hope that um, we can have a, a semblance of normal March Madness because it's the best tournament in all sports. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. Women's basketball, I have not called a women's basketball game in a long time uh, because these games keep getting rescheduled and stuff because of the pandemic, but I'm excited. I'm supposed to call on Saturday, so fingers crossed that happens, but um, Kent State is still undefeated in women's basketball in the MAC. Hopefully that continues. Looking at the AP Top 25, you look Louisville, uh, NC State, and UConn are the top three teams in women's basketball. And those three, it's it's normally uh, um, Louisville and UConn are there. South Carolina is there too. They're number four. 
And NC State's been a little bit of a surprise this year, but that's what's going on in women's basketball. Real quick, we're going to do our segment, What's Trending? So the Bernie meme, the Conor McGregor meme, the Coach K story, all were trending, but nothing is trending as much as the stock market is today. And surprisingly, it's not what you would think. It's GameStop. GameStop is trending today because some Reddit users decided a lot of these hedge shares and these hedge funds have stock on GameStop that GameStop will go down. So what if we all invest in GameStop and we make it go up and they lose money and we make money? And that's what's been happening. As of today, GameStop has gone up 118% in the last day. And some kid won $15 million because of his investment in GameStop. And then you look at AMC Theaters, BlackBerry, all these old companies that are dead in the water are also like jumping in stocks and all these 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 like these higher ups, these hedge funds, these big business people are like, what's going on? This isn't supposed to be happening. The internet is outsmarting these these big corporations. But uh, you know, I might screw around and buy GameStop stock if this thing keeps continuing. But uh, it's pretty funny to see what a group of people on the internet can accomplish when they when they put their mind to it. <laughs> like it's it's so funny to me. Like it's like the number one thing trending on the internet right now is stocks, GameStop, the stock market. Like nobody knows GameStop and AMC, like AMC theaters and GameStop. Like they're they're like rising. Like AMC went up two hundred percent today. GameStop has been up three hundred percent since yesterday. Some kid won fifteen million dollars off of that. That's crazy, and I, it's just so interesting to me. Like how this stuff can happen. Like you, cause like you look at the stock market and you think like there's people who know about the stock market and then there's people like you and me who maybe glance at the stock market once when they're bored, but don't know anything about like the real economics of it. And we are the ones that are winning right now over these big hedge funds and big businesses. That's, that's hilarious to me. That's what's trending. But if, if you want to, if you want to get rich quick uh, the new scheme, it seems to be is buy GameStop and buy AMC stocks. So far, now put a hold on them because you don't want to own the stocks. Just have a share and put the hold on the share, so that way when it goes down, you don't lose money. But if you put a, if you put a hold on them right now, you're gonna make a ton of money. <laughs> and the other thing that's trending, uh, the Lions um, hired Dan Campbell officially hired Dan Campbell as their coach, and he had an absolutely electric press conference quote. And we'll end there today because it's a little bit of motivation for you guys as you head through the rest of this week. And before we talk next time on the next podcast, this is what Dan Campbell had to say. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> it's just a crazy quote. You, you heard me say, oh, boy, as soon as I read it. <laughs> Here's his quote. He said, we're going to kick you in the teeth. And when you punch us back, we're going to smile at you. And when you knock us down, we're going to get up. And on the way up, we're going to bite a kneecap off. So... My motivation to you guys this week is if you get knocked down, just get up and bite that person's kneecap off. All right. So that is going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I had a lot of fun with this episode. Hope you guys have as much fun as I did recording it as you guys do listening it, listening to it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Your support means a lot. I hope you guys stay safe. Wash your hands. Next week, we got a Super Bowl preview and possibly uh, an interview with someone. So please stay tuned for that. But until then, stay safe. Wash your hands. And I will catch you guys on the flip side.